Hello, and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life, an episode in which I'm going to, as much as possible, try and use the words of others to try and get me to think and you to think. I'm going to start off with what I think and what I believe is a spoof Twitter account. Uh, the title of that account is Bob Servant, and Bob likes us to believe that he's a beef burger hamburger salesman from a mobile van in Dundee in Scotland. And Bob said this this week. Ten years ago, I was the eighth busiest cheeseburger van in Dundee. After a decade of hard work, listening to the punters, menu experimentation, spatula practice, meditation, positive mental attitude, daring to dream and two deaths, I'm up to sixth. Never give up. From one Bob to another Bob, Bob Dylan. The world don't need any more songs. As a matter of fact, if nobody wrote any songs from this day on, the world ain't going to suffer for it. Nobody cares. There's enough songs for people to listen to, and if they want to listen to songs. For every man, woman and child on earth, they could be sent, probably each of them, a, a hundred songs and never be repeated. There's enough songs. Unless someone's going to come along with a pure heart and has something to say. That's a different story. But as far as songwriting, well, any idiot could do it. Everybody writes a song, just like everybody's got one great novel in them. Both of those little stories there, those quotations to me, seem to be directly relevant to photography. We're always being told, aren't we, that there's too many photographs out there and there's many arguments going around about which type of photography or which type of photographer or which type of image is valid and is important. And it always seems to me to be the people who like to consider themselves important who make those judgments and kind of raise those questions and look down on certain kinds of work. Oh, don't worry, I'm not that guy. I think I'm more aligned with Bob in the cheeseburger van. I'm just going to keep going and I'm never going to give up. And really, I suppose, that's exactly what photography is about. And over the last week, I've had a number of discussions about the idea of photography and actually what it means. And I think at the end of the day, the one thing I know is I really don't want to get involved in any kind of theoretical or academic deconstruction of what photography is. I just want to go with it. That is, of course, until things happen within photography, which sort of raise larger issues. I mentioned uh, the photographer Martin Parr a few podcasts ago and his uh, attempt to sell his photographs um, emblazoned upon surgical masks. And in the last week, there's been a lot of talk around the use of images and the recognition of black photographers and black issues. And uh, there's been a lot of discussion about Martin's role in that as well. It's when photography comes out of being about the, the pure image and kind of transcends that and starts to be something more important. I'm not going to address that situation with Martin there, but if you want to find out what's going on and what's being felt very passionately, you need to check out Duck Rabbit on um, Twitter. Anyway, um, something else that, that transcends those kinds of uh, confines of photography um, also caught my attention in the last week. Uh, 
Vogue, uh, the fashion magazine, the Portugal um, version of that magazine, the, that brand, that franchise, their July stroke August 2020 issue is titled The Madness Issue. And it uses the aesthetic of a psychiatric hospital as its cover. I know you're probably listening to this and thinking, surely not. We'll check it out and have a look. I'm sure you'll be as horrified as I am. And I was. But fashion's always looking for the controversial. I know that because I've worked in fashion for so long, so many years, and actually was commissioning photographers right through what was uh, known, I suppose, as the the grunge days of uh, Nigel Chaffron, David Sims, Glenn Lutchford, Corinne Day, and so on, and uh, Elaine Constantine, all of whom looking towards the work of Nan Goldin as a starting point, as an influence for fashion. In a time when we were coming out of the 1980s and everything was super model and super glossy, and I was part of that as well, um, these photographers were looking for something that they considered to be more real and more connected to their actual experience. What's also interesting from an insider's perspective here is I remember Mario Sorrenti, Kate Moss and Glenn Lutchford all sharing a flat in uh, Notting Hill on the square where they filmed uh, Mick Jagger in performance. I think it might even have been the same building, but I'm not sure on that. But it was a very tight-knit community of stylists and photographers at that time. It's also interesting, uh, and don't worry, by the way, don't think, oh, no, he's gone into fashion photography. I'm not interested. I think everyone should be interested in fashion photography. If you understand what it's really about, that sense of documentation and narrative and storytelling. But anyway, that's another episode. But I saw an article on Aperture Online in the last week, written, I should say, by Lou Stoppard, and it was titled The Fashion Image After Nan Golden. Uh, If you're not interested in fashion photography, you may not be aware of the influence that Nan's work has had in that area, but it's been huge, I would say probably over the last 30 years. Anyway, uh, Lou said, um, if fashion photography is defined by artifice, why does the industry crave rawness and reality? And for me, that connects directly with uh, that Vogue uh, Portugal cover uh, over the last week. Anyway, uh, Lou goes on to say this, one doesn't need to look far to identify socio-cultural reasons for the current quest for a semblance of authenticity or truth. Is it a reaction to the explosion of fashion images in other new contexts beyond the magazine? E-commerce images, influencer selfies, Instagram posts, most of which embrace a sort of sanitised, pouty, cartoonish quality. They're tweaking done in many cases via apps such as Facetune rather than Photoshop. This focus on authenticity has to do with issues of representation. And I think we've got a connection there with that reference I was just making to the current discussions going on around some of Martin Parr's um, work and, and comments. And also, as I say, that, um, that copy of Portugal Vogue. Anyway, uh, Lou continues. Today, a moral quality is given to fashion images that look like real life. They are presented as a step forward. One must be careful, however, to recall that the agents of construction, the stylist, the glam team, the casting agent, the location scout, 
are still at work, their contributions have just been better disguised. I think Lou's dead on the on the money with that. And it's an interesting reflection for me on where photography is in incorporating all of those different platforms that many photographers dismiss as not being relevant. But I think they really are. This week, we welcome to the podcaster explaining to us what photography means to him as a Welsh photographer living in Italy. Rodri Jones was born in Gwynedd in Wales in 1963 and has been based near Bologna, Italy since 2000. His interest uh, in photography began in the mid-1980s. In 1989, he moved to Nicaragua and started to work as a professional photographer with the Sandinista Press Agency and in El Salvador with Fanastres, Union and local human rights organisations. He returned to Europe in 1991 and has worked as a self-taught professional photographer ever since on both personal and commission projects around the world and has had six books of his work published, Made in China in 2002, Return in 2006, Hinterland in 2010, Scambi Ferroviari in 2011 and Cozy Air in 2015 and Marconi Express in 2019. Described by Magnum photographer, the great Magnum photographer, when Magnum was great, a Philip Jones Griffiths. As a Welsh poet with a camera, Rodri has exhibited in China, Ireland, France, Greece, Italy, the Netherlands, Poland, the UK and USA. His images and stories have been distributed by Panos Pictures since 1992 and seen in multiple leading magazines, newspapers, and published books worldwide. His work is held in several public and private collections, and Rodri speaks English, German, Italian, Spanish, and Welsh fluently. There's a working knowledge of French, some Portuguese, Albanian, Mandarin, and Chinese. I think we better hear from Rodri. Hi, my name is Rodri Jones, and this is what photography means to me. Photography is a tool, a tool that can be used in many different ways. Although an uncle gave me my first camera when I was aged nine, at that age my passion was music. I was lucky enough to be brought up in a family that travelled quite often, so travel became the next big thing. I wasn't academically inclined, so at 18 I moved to Italy, where I'd met my first love while hitchhiking around Sardinia the previous summer. There I did many jobs, mainly seasonal, often manual. I wanted to save money so I could travel outside Europe, Africa and then Latin America. I bought myself a small manual camera. Photography became my hobby. I landed up working as a technician for experimental theatre. It was a real eye-opener. I discovered that you could actually make a living from what really interested you. What I wanted to do was travel, and taking photos would be the tool that would get others to pay me to do exactly that. At 26, I moved to Nicaragua and landed up working for Agencia Nueva Nicaragua, the Sandinista press agency. I wasn't getting paid much, but at the time, I liked their politics and was being taught the trade. Back then, Central America was in the news. 
which meant top professionals were often there. One of these was a Newsweek photographer called Bill Gentile. He taught me a lot, not least that photography itself was a new world to travel in. He talked of the masters, told me to study them. He even mentioned Philip Jones Griffiths, a fellow Welshman who was later to become a mentor and friend. After two years in Nicaragua and El Salvador, I returned to Europe and went to libraries. I discovered the works of many masters, including Philip's. There were so many different languages in this, for me, a new world. The Iron Curtain had come down, and although I was no longer that interested in press photography, I went to Albania, the last country that was changing. The tool of photography had developed into something new. It had now become a means to go under the surface, a vehicle to learn about things that aren't immediately obvious. I kept on going back to Albania. I'd come across a Catholic enclave that had been isolated for centuries. They developed in their own way, and by spending several years on that project, I learned a lot about the Balkans. The images that inspired me then were those of Eugene Smith and Joseph Kudelka. Out of curiosity, I started to visit China. There were so many products labelled Made in China, so I wanted to go and see the place for myself. I'd grown to distrust mainstream media. I wanted to learn about what was happening behind the events. I returned often. That work led to my first book and to meeting Philip, who wrote a brief intro. By now, the tool had helped develop a passion, visually documenting the process of changing identity. We are all a product of time and place. I was brought up with three languages, English, German and Welsh. Welsh is apparently a dying language. When you come from cultures that have been colonized and are seemingly in decline, it can make you see things in a very different light. You also have choice. You can either become introverted and defensive, or you can realize that everything is no more or less than a process of change. Rather than build walls, you can embrace change even to influence in a very small way its path. Now I speak several languages and thanks to photography, I've learned several more visual ones. I have no time for dogma. Can you imagine a world with only one language? Now that would be a very sad place. Languages open your mind. You might be saying more or less the same thing, but with different sounds colors and nuances. Thanks to photography, I've learned that both the devil and God is in the detail. Photography, for me, is a tool, one that can serve the mind and soul's eye. 
Thank you, Rodri, for your contribution this week. Uh, tying in very nicely, I think, with a number of the uh, strands that I was picking up on at the beginning of this particular episode, particularly concerning dogma. I don't have any time for dogma either. Also, those themes, those recurring themes of the importance of being a ca- uh, being given a camera at an early age by a family member, and also that importance of knowledge of the greats and learning from the greats of what we do. Rodri's a self-taught photographer, but interestingly enough, I think the fact that particularly him talking there about visual language, he could just as easily have been one of my students because what I teach very much ties in with that. And because of that, I wrote an article this week and it's on the United Nations of Photography website. It's called, Is It Moral to Teach Photography? It's um, had a lot of pickup and a lot of comments on it. Um, the majority of people, I have to say, being very positive, and a lot of people who are either students or lecturers, teachers, actually saying, yeah, you know, that's exactly how I feel about photography and how I feel about teaching photography also. Um, that's on, as I said, the, uh, the website, but I posted it up on a few different social media platforms just to get the message out there and um, as always tends to happen again people I haven't spoken about this for a while now but I do tend to try and keep out off of Facebook forums and I'm only a member of two but one of them keeps coming back and uh, really frustrating me but anyway I put uh, a link up there to it and a couple of people um, were quite strong in their condemnation of what I was saying, one of whom said this, I don't think photography is as important as you do or as you want it to be. To me, it's the lowest art form and I'm a photographer. Well, what are you doing wasting your time then if that's how you feel about our medium? It's always good to understand that there's some pretty kooky people out there. So we don't need to listen to everything that's posted on social media. Just try and pick out the good bits. But anyway, thank you very much to Rodri there. Really inspiring. And if you're not aware of his work and you really are a fan of that um, that classic traditional approach to documentary work that I highly recommend you look at Rodri's work and try and get your hands on some of his books. Anyway, as we come to the end of this episode, the 20 minutes has gone quicker, it seems to me, this week than ever before. Um, I've had a haircut. Um, The rain has started and it feels as if uh, we're moving forward. I hope you feel that way too. Um, As always, thanks for your support and listening to the podcast. And as always, please just take care. Mm